Hello, and welcome to episode number 37 of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, I am your host, Exoacadamian. When it comes to the history of the UFO phenomenon, there are a few key players who have shaped the nature of the conversation. Of those individuals, those considered, at least initially anyway, the most controversial are the ones who suggested an alternative to the popular and in many ways ubiquitous extraterrestrial hypothesis, the notion that alien species have traveled to us by traversing vast distances of interstellar space. That initial controversy fell by the wayside in many ways, as evidence mounted over the decades suggesting the ETH really was, if not wrong, then woefully incomplete in terms of explaining the depth and breadth of the UFO phenomenon, a phenomenon that seemed, upon closer inspection, to have much in common with tales of encounters with otherworldly entities from distant human lore. Of course, Jacques Vallée stands out as perhaps the most influential in this regard, but standing right alongside him in terms of positing an alternate origin hypothesis to explain the apparently non-human entities visiting and interacting with us throughout recorded history is the figure of John Keel. Keel, ever a trailblazer, sought from the outset to study this subject in an objective way, unprejudiced by the prominent theories of his day. And as he studied this subject in depth, Keel began to notice peculiar, though to him unmistakable, commonalities behind the appearance and behavior of phenomena such as UFOs and alien beings, and tales from occult literature going back deep into the depth of recorded human history. The crossover elements were so overwhelming in scope, in fact, that this recognition ultimately led Keel to conclude that a common origin was responsible for all interactions with supposedly otherworldly entities, whether they be supposed aliens from distant planets or goblins arising from the underworld. Keel suggested that these beings were not so much distant travelers from elsewhere in the fabric of our own space-time as interdimensional sojourners emerging from some alternate plane that exists right alongside our own. He termed this vast other place the superspectrum, and he termed the visitors coming from this parallel plane the ultra-terrestrials. Keel believed, even though that term belief was loathsome to him in many ways, that the vastly different entities we've experienced over time, including the craft supposedly traversing our skies, were all manifestations arising from this alternate plane of existence. Indeed, he even wondered if perhaps one central and decidedly superior intelligence was responsible for all of these manifestations, manifestations that influenced the origins of our ancient religions, as well as much more recent fields of interest and inquiry, such as the UFO phenomenon. What was the historical evidence and direct personal experience that led Keel in this peculiar and at first glance, perhaps counterintuitive direction? These are the very matters we'll seek to engage with in this, the 37th episode of the Point of Convergence podcast. As I mentioned recently on social media, after 36 episodes, we've covered many of the main players in the UFO phenomenon, 
in terms of the people who really have put together hypotheses that have resonated, that have really become trailblazers in terms of taking this conversation in new directions. That said, there has been one other person that I have not yet covered. That is, of course, John Keel. And today we will rectify that omission. Now, Keel really is central to this conversation. And if you're trying to understand the UFO phenomenon, he's one of the people you need to read. And in terms of this phenomenon and the larger context of the superspectrum and the other anomalous phenomena that he identified as all being part of the same thing in his mind, there are three key books that he wrote that you may want to engage with. These are Operation Trojan Horse, the classic breakthrough study of UFOs, The Mothman Prophecies, and of course, a movie was made based on that book, and thirdly, The Eighth Tower on Ultraterrestrials and the Superspectrum. And we'll touch on all three books today, but especially the first and the third, that being Operation Trojan Horse and The Eighth Tower. Now, speaking of The Eighth Tower, I found a description by the publisher that really gets at the heart not only of this book and what it's about, but Keel's overall hypothesis regarding the UFO phenomenon and indeed all paranormal activity. This is that description, quote, is there a single intelligent force behind all religious, occult, and UFO phenomena? Are euphonauts, leprechauns, the Loch Ness Monster, Sasquatch, and even Satan really just beings from another dimension? Are they creations of the mass mind or collective unconscious? Or are they a supercomputer's last defense against humanity run amok? Are the radio signals we receive from outer space actually broadcast from ultra-terrestrials? John Keel, in his masterpiece, The Eighth Tower, has his opinions on these and other matters. Strange manifestations have haunted mankind since prehistoric times. Beams of light, voices from the heavens, and the little people, gods and devils, ghosts and monsters, and UFOs have all had a prominent place in our history and legends. Now, author Keel, an internationally renowned authority on the paranormal, explores these phenomena using spine-chilling but true case histories to reveal the shocking truth about our present position and future destiny in the cosmos, unquote. Now, there's plenty of market speak, plenty of hyperbole in that description, but it does get across the main notions that Keel came to, the main notions he put forward in terms of his understanding of what was going on, especially this section. I quote again, quote, is there a single intelligent force behind all religious, occult, and UFO phenomena? Are euphonauts, leprechauns, the Loch Ness Monster, Sasquatch, and even Satan really just beings from another dimension? Unquote. That really does get at the main notion that Keel came to. And we'll go into that in depth shortly. But before we get there, let's step back a bit and talk about Keel's background. What kind of life did he live that led him to these places, led him to these kinds of conclusions? Now, by the way, I think it's important to understand the background of any author that you're reading, especially ones you begin to take really seriously, because our backgrounds do shape us. The contextual milieu that forms us helps even determine what kind of hypotheses, what kind of data we'll even consider. 
That's why I think it's important to try and understand where people are coming from. Now, in terms of Keel, in many ways, he was perfectly suited for a later investigation of the UFO phenomenon because he lived a very interesting childhood, a diverse childhood. He had to spend a lot of time entertaining himself. And so because of that, he had an early interest, for instance, in magic, and he would conduct magic tricks with his friends. But he also was very interested in science, hard science, and he had a good understanding of physics. And also in later trips he made to Eastern countries such as India, he recognized right away the revelations of quantum physics were remarkably similar to the teachings of Eastern mystical traditions. And all of this became part of the milieu that helped Kiel attack the question of the UFO phenomenon. And to be clear, Kiel saw himself as a Fortean, following the work of Charles Fort, who lived from 1874 to 1932. Fort was a pioneering American writer and researcher who specialized in anomalous phenomena. He would consider all of it. And in many ways, Kiel was walking in Fort's footsteps. So how was it, though, that Kiel became interested in UFOs and became so dedicated to such an exhaustive investigation of the UFO phenomenon? Well, it all began when he was commissioned to write a single article. But as he began to do research and gather data in his objective, thorough way, that quickly led to an entire book, a book we mentioned earlier, Operation Trojan Horse. Now, to his credit, Kiel didn't want to be influenced by existing notions. He didn't read other authors' work because he really wanted to look at the data objectively and determine his own conclusions. And he very much wanted to write the definitive accounting of the UFO phenomenon. Now, of course, at the time that Kiel was collecting data, he couldn't just jump on a search engine and run a quick search. No, he had to do it the old-fashioned way. He would subscribe to various newspapers all across the country, and he would receive from them any articles pertaining to UFO sightings. And interestingly, very much like J. Allen Hynek and Jacques Vallée began, Kiel was initially hopeful and expectant that he would determine the extraterrestrial hypothesis was the most likely explanation for the UFOs that were being sighted. But as it turns out, that wasn't to be the case. Just like Hynek and Vallée before him, when Kiel really looked at enough data and combed through it exhaustively, he began to question the extraterrestrial hypothesis, ultimately determining that it was insufficient and perhaps very wrong in terms of actually explaining what was going on. Now, these were the actual words that Kiel wrote regarding how he came to determine that the extraterrestrial hypothesis was not the best explanation for what was being observed. Quote, I abandoned the extraterrestrial hypothesis in 1967 when my own field investigations disclosed an astonishing overlap between psychic phenomena and UFOs. The objects and apparitions do not necessarily originate on another planet and may not even exist as permanent constructions of matter. It is more likely that we see what we want to see and interpret such visions according to our contemporary beliefs, unquote. 
Now, of course, here we're reminded of Jacques Vallée. Again, there was plenty of overlap between these two authors. They both recognized that there was a long history of human interaction with various entities. And when you look past the superficial aspect or the facade nature of the phenomena, both Kiel and Vallée determined that this very well may be the same underlying intelligence manifesting in different forms over time. And as I just read, in some ways, it could be that these others are manifesting in ways that match our contemporary beliefs. So our expectations play a role in what we end up experiencing, which again, it sounds similar. We've talked about this recently. We are co-authors of the experience in many ways. And it certainly seems to be the case that this intelligence, or some of them anyway, because again, I think there's plural intelligences here, can read our minds, understand our history, in some ways may understand our unconscious better than we do. So it makes sense that they could read from our background, our cultural expectations, and give us back something that we're expecting. The question, of course, is why? What is the ultimate aims of such activity? We'll get to that. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Kiel recognized crossover between the occult literature and literature behind the UFO phenomenon. What's interesting is, again, often your expectations, your biases coming into an investigation will determine what you end up letting in. And that, of course, has a huge impact on what you end up concluding. The thing is, within ufology, the nuts and bolts researchers of history tended to look just at the craft, at the sightings, tried to find hard, objective scientific data like radar readings, soil samples, that kind of thing, photographs, video, even better. But of course, there's much more to it than that. We've talked about many times on this podcast, the psychological aspects, the psychic component, as Jacques Vallée would call it. Now, what is the occult? In case you're wondering, perhaps you don't have a good grasp on that especially if you're coming from more of a nuts and bolts perspective. A definition of the occult is as follows. It is of involving or relating to supernatural, mystical, or magical powers or phenomena. That's a definition of the occult. Now, again, when you think about many of the manifestations psychologically, uh, in terms of witnesses, experiencers, contactees, abductees, a lot of the experiences sound very similar to accounts we read in distant occult literature from human history. Kiel certainly recognized that. And this is, again, where his diverse background paid off. It helped him recognize patterns when he came across them. Now, to give you one practical example, both Kiel and Valet recognized that abduction reports, where people are supposedly taken on board craft and various strange medical procedures are conducted upon them. Both of these figures, Kiel and Valet, recognized that these procedures, these experiences, bore a remarkable resemblance to various initiation practices within occult literature. Very similar, especially once you take away the exterior, the facade, and you look at what's going on psychologically to the human being. And for both Kiel and Valet, this was central. What was happening to us? How did it change us? That became central 
to answering the questions behind the origin and ultimate purpose of the UFO phenomenon. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, Keel had a keen interest in science, and for a layman, he had a very good grounded understanding of the most recent trends, especially when it came to things like quantum physics, as I mentioned. He also had a keen interest in the electromagnetic spectrum, and it was understandings there that led him to later postulate something like the superspectrum. And now I'd like to quote from Keel's book, The Cosmic Question. Quote, At this moment, you are surrounded by all kinds of energy, much of it man-made, vibrating on every frequency from the ultra-high frequencies of modern military radios to the very low frequencies of generators and telephone lines. There are many other forms of energy mixed in as well. And there are, as we shall see, forms of energy on such high frequencies they cannot be detected with even the most sophisticated scientific instruments. If your eyes were tuned beyond the very narrow confines of the spectrum of visible light, you would find yourself looking into a thick fog of dazzling, unreal colors. Some psychics and UFO percipients have described these occult colors, and they have always been used to symbolize the supernatural entities. If you could peer into this superspectrum, you would undoubtedly see some frightening things, strange shapes and eerie ghost-like forms moving through a sea of electrical energy like fish in some alien sea, unquote. Now, according to Keel, human beings were sometimes able to perceive and even interact with manifestations coming from this superspectrum, which is all around us, even though we usually don't see it. Now, how do you interact with these kind of entities? Well, for Keel, the key was to go to a certain window area. That's what he called them. I've referred to these before as thin places. In fact, I did an entire episode on places like Skinwalker Ranch, which has been identified as one of these thin places, or in Keel's language, a window area. These are areas that have historically shown a higher than average occurrence of paranormal phenomena of all types, not just one. And in terms of Keel, he decided to pick a hotspot, a place that had a remarkable number of occurrences of various anomalous phenomena. As we all know, Point Pleasant, West Virginia became the place that Keel went to, and this gave rise to the Mothman Prophecies book that he wrote. So to be clear, to Keel, whether it is something like a Mothman, which if you're not familiar is a giant Birdman kind of creature, quite scary looking, black with giant wings and red eyes, or interdimensional beings that we've often thought of as aliens, or even spirits, he believes that they were all coming from something he called the superspectrum, which is like a parallel universe that exists right alongside our own. And these others that he termed ultra-terrestrials were able to change their vibrational rate. And by doing this, they could appear and disappear in terms of what we could perceive. They would come in and out of our reality by changing their vibrational rate. As I mentioned, Keel came up with this term ultra-terrestrial. And interestingly, that term has come into vogue more recently, partly because people like Luis Elizondo have given hints in terms of what they found in the ATIP program 
that suggests that these others may be here already and perhaps have been here all along. But how did Kiel come up with this term, ultra-terrestrial? Well, interestingly, Kiel was a radiology consultant at one point. Now, ultraviolet rays are just outside our perceptual range. Perhaps that's why he coined this term, to describe entities that are here in our midst, but usually not perceivable by us. He also saw ultraterrestrials as shapeshifters because ultimately it was a manifestation, not necessarily something in quote-unquote objective reality. In other words, don't get too attached to the form. That would be Kiel's advice. And now I'd like to quote a section from his book, The Eighth Tower. Quote, this superspectrum is the source of all paranormal manifestations, from extrasensory perception, ESP, to flying saucers, little green men, and tall, hairy monsters. It is hard to pin down scientifically because it is extra-dimensional, meaning that it exists outside our own space-time continuum, yet influences everything within our reality. Unquote. Now, unlike some researchers, Kiel was hesitant to draw strong conclusions regarding the ultimate intentions of this intelligence. But he did believe that throughout the course of human history, one intelligence may very well be responsible for all manifestations, again, across history, including cross-cultural history. So every civilization across the face of the earth has experienced manifestations from this one intelligence, according to Kiel's perspective anyway. That, of course, includes our ancient historic religions. He believes that manifestations happened thousands of years ago, and based on these experiences, people formed religions and dogmas that developed from these experiences. And, of course, billions of people, even today, still follow the religions based on those initial manifestations. And regarding those manifestations, there are many ways they have occurred across the course of human history. For instance, we would apply this to the manifestation of things like monsters, ghosts and demons, and angels, the fairy faith in Middle Europe, vampire legends, the mystery airships in 1897, the mystery airplanes of 1930, and the mystery helicopters of later, anomalous creature sightings, poltergeist phenomena, balls of light, and of course, last but not least, UFOs. Now, earlier on, I mentioned what Kiel termed window areas, and that I have termed thin places. Again, this is where supposedly a lot of this anomalous phenomena ends up manifesting. The question might arise in your mind, how do these places form in the first place? Well, according to Kiel, it may be based on various magnetic fluctuations around the world. And I want to quote again from his book, The Eighth Tower, on ultraterrestrials and the superspectrum. Quote, ancient priests and builders must have known about the Earth's magnetism and its strange fluctuations. They located their temples, mounds, and pyramids in the dead center of magnetic anomalies and they laid out long, arrow-straight tracks, or lays, between these magnetic points, unquote. And as a quick aside, I'd like to say I think there is something to this in terms of the anomalies and ways we may be able to track these kinds of places around the world. 
find some sort of commonality between them from a scientific perspective. Now, in terms of a window area specifically, Keel, as we mentioned earlier, picked Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which of course is famous for the Mothman sightings. But there were a wide variety of manifestations going on at the time that Keel set up a new home base there. Everything from, again, monsters to spirits to UFOs to the men in black. Again, we haven't discussed the men in black much on this podcast, but they are a central part of the UFO phenomenon. There's lots of questions regarding who they ultimately are. Are they government agents? Are they manifestations from the super spectrum, as Keel would suggest? Who knows? I think there's times where it may be both. But let's get to Keel's experience with the men in black. Quote, In the 1960s, the men in black led me on many merry chases. With my usual impeccable logic, I reasoned that I would never be able to catch a flying saucer. But if the MIB were real, and the testimony of many people indicated they were, I might be able to head them off at some cosmic pass and force their big black automobile to the side of the road. On a number of occasions, I actually saw the Phantom Cadillacs as advertised, complete with sinister-looking oriental-like passengers in black suits. On Long Island, following the directions given me in an anonymous phone call, I pursued one of these cars down a dead-end road, where it seemingly vanished into thin air. There were no side roads or turnoffs. On other days, I arrived at witnesses' homes only minutes after the MIB had driven off. Their empty threats, passed along by concern, percipients, filled my mailbox and rang in my ears for years. Unquote. The men in black, certainly a bizarre aspect of the UFO phenomenon. Apologies if you got into this topic with a nuts and bolts interest in flying saucers, because as I've said before, the further you get into it, the deeper the rabbit hole goes. Who are these men in black? We don't really know. I would certainly suggest they are not conventional human beings, not all of them, even though sometimes government agents might pose like them. But why these men in black appear so strangely and act so strangely is hard to pin down. But I would suggest there is a reason behind that. There is a meaning even behind the unhuman-like aspect of their demeanor. Again, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there must be a reason. If they wanted to appear perfectly human, they could. Now, what Keel is coming to time and time again, what he's suggesting to us is reality is not as simple as we think it is. We shouldn't trust just what our eyes are telling us. Interestingly, since the time of Keel, science has moved closer and closer to this perspective. And Donald Hoffman has done some great work talking about reality being a construction done by our minds rather than something objectively true out there. And in support of that, I'd like to quote from Donald Hoffman's book, The Case Against Reality, Why Evolution Hid the Truth from Our Eyes. Quote, Steven Pinker sums up the argument well. We are organisms, not angels, and our minds are organs, not pipelines to the truth. Our minds evolved by natural selection to solve problems that were life and death matters to our ancestors, not to commune with correctness. Unquote. Also, he pointed out, 
What we call reality consists of an elaborate paper mache construction of imagination and theory filled in between a few iron posts of observation. He also added, quote, as Einstein put it, time and space are modes by which we think and not conditions in which we live, unquote. All that is to say, there's plenty of data coming from hard science like that done by people like Donald Hoffman, reminding us that what we experience as reality is really anything but. What we experience is more like an interface that our brains have put together, a construct that helps us move through the world and survive. The evolutionary process produced this, but we should not confuse this for what's actually out there. And of course, this supports the notion that Kiel put forward that reality is much broader and deeper than we can perceive. And now I'd like to offer a few concluding thoughts for your consideration. First off, I'm very thankful for John Keel and the work he did. He helped to expand this conversation and to take it in some new directions that were very fruitful. As I say, he was ahead of his time and evidence that has arisen since then in fields like quantum physics certainly supports many of his notions, certainly points in that direction anyway. Now, like Valet, Keel believed there was a subversive influence working to change our civilization even though he was agnostic as to what that purpose ultimately was or what the aim of that process was. But this is what he wrote, quote, the human race is being reprogrammed. Young people everywhere suddenly became pacifists in the 1960s after millennium of violence. Our world was invaded, but not by the hordes of Martians and Venusians envisioned by the flying saucer believers. We were invaded by new ideas and a new inner structure that would help guide us to the anticipated crises of the 1990s, unquote. Another notion that Keel pointed towards many times, and I think we should all take to heart, is his cautionary tales regarding dogma. And from his perspective, we find it everywhere in human civilization. This is what he wrote in his book, Our Haunted Planet, quote, we believe our history books. In fact, many millions of people still cling to the thoroughly discredited religious belief that mankind is only 4,000 years old. Science labors to ignore the mounting evidence that we may not be the only intelligent life form on this planet, unquote. So what I appreciate about that quote, he's pointing to both religion and science, or as it's practice, scientism, where it adopts its own dogmatic views. We find it in both of these fields. Again, this is not unique to religion or to science. It's something common to human beings, and we should always be wary of it. Now, one area where I perhaps disagree with Keel is regarding his conclusion, or at least his strong suspicion, that one intelligence may be responsible for all of the anomalous phenomena we've perceived over the course of human history. This is what I would say regarding that. The UFO phenomenon is undoubtedly complex, but that said, many make it even more convoluted by sometimes unconsciously trying to make sense of diverse phenomena and a wide array of behaviors as if a singular non-human group or entity is responsible. I think that's a mistaken notion, and it 
comes from our tendency to want to simplify complex matters. So that said, why would someone experience something like alien contact and poltergeist activity, for instance? This happens to many experiencers. Sometimes people experience the others and then the dead, deceased human beings appear, or they develop abilities along the size spectrum, as we've discussed before. How does this occur? Why does it occur? I would suggest it's not because one intelligence is manifesting in all these different ways. I look at it more like the phenomena are related because of a door that has opened and a door in us. Once that divide has become porous, that divide between our hard line reality or our perception of it and these other planes, once that has become porous, the membrane between those two places or between our place and many places, then all sorts of phenomena can start interacting with us. It doesn't necessarily have to be originating from the same source. Lastly, I would just like to say that I think people like Kiel and Valet are definitely onto something when they point to the primary importance of the way that human beings are changed by these experiences, not just changed behaviorally in the short term, but even in the long term. Our perspectives change drastically. And for those of us in the West, the goal may be to unravel or at least to loosen the cords around our current mechanistic materialist paradigm of reality. Even when it comes to the trickster element of the phenomenon that Kiel ran into many times, we would do well to remember that it has been suggested that the trickster element arises when a civilization has become too attached to a particular perspective. It becomes too confident in its worldview. It in many ways undermines and mocks a current perspective so as to birth the possibility of a broader, deeper paradigm. And on that note, we've come to the close of another edition of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, let's keep this conversation going and growing. But until next time, friends, from deep within the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, this is Exo Academian signing out.